And we're on. Uh, let's talk quantum physics. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, welcome to podcast two. I'm with Mitch Vicarage. How you doing? Number two. Yeah, I'm good, bro. Good. Really excited for this one. Today's topic is human health. And uh, tell us a bit about yourself, Mitch, and why I've got you here today. Uh, thank you for that generous. <laughs> um, yeah, my name is Mitchell Vicarage. Um, some of you may know me, some of you may not know me. I'm a 28-year-old male in Perth, Australia, and I absolutely fucking love studying the human body. Um, and that was primarily fueled, I would say, by my encounter with death and the loss of my health um, to the nth degree and multiple times. So um, it's funny how sometimes you need multiple beatings to the face to be woken up to what's important in life, what's important to kind of your reality. And so human health kind of be, became a cornerstone when you lose the very thing that's just so important um, because everything sits under human health. You know, we can build the biggest businesses and have the greatest families and the biggest homes, but none of it is important, nor can it be enjoyed uh, unless you are somewhat in a healthy body or a thriving body. So, um, yeah, I would say I'm the kind of person I consider myself kind of like a, a bit of a human mechanic now. I really love, you know, the same way a mechanic would take a car and pull apart parts and fix this and patch this up and da 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 da. I kind of see myself um, now as the person that really tries their best to look at someone's body, discover, you know, what endocrine gland is hyper or hypo, what organ might be affected, what systems might be affected, uh, what, you know, non-physical stuff, whether it's the stress, the emotional kind of stuff that ultimately makes a human being healthy or unhealthy. Cool. Um, so your encounter with death, um, not overly bright, but... Um, <laughs> Don't recommend it to anyone. Yeah. yeah what... Um, what happened? Um, well, naturally, I was born with a genetic blueprint, as everyone is, and I'm sure everyone can understand that. I'm going to fast track this. I'm going to real second bit. And you know, growing up, pretty regular upbringing until about the age of six and seven, I start to remember that my childhood was just absolutely involved with the worst possible foods you could imagine, like the typical KFC, Chinese pizza, McDonald's, all of it. And the probably only thing saving me was just the excessive amounts of sports I was doing, which was footy, gymnastics, all that kind of stuff. So I was burning those calories off at a high enough rate, but still that is just, I was just put, I just remember looking back now, looking so much toxic crap in my body. Um, so that eventually, you know, was like just ingrained into me and it was kind of the way I ate. It was maybe steak and potato at night, possibly, but it was still mostly crap. And that lasted for a good, you know, 20 something years. And at 14, 15, I found bodybuilding and I found some pretty elite mentors at the time. I was very blessed to have them in my corner. So, you know, I was straight into just absolutely hardcore bodybuilding training at a high competitive level and the seafood diet, which is if you see food, you eat it. Um, mm. as many protein, um, as, as much protein or as many calories as possible. So that combination of a massive upbringing of terrible nutrition, coupled then with straight into bodybuilding and extremely hardcore training, plus then the anabolic side of things as I was doing, you know, IFBB competitive bodybuilding that led to the decay of, of my human body. And, you know, I was diagnosed with, with what we'll get into in a moment at, at 20 years old with Crohn's disease, what they label as Crohn's disease. And that was just a shitstorm back and forth after that with doctor after doctor and specialist after specialist with different immunosuppressive drugs and all different kinds of toxic uh, mocktails. Um, and then required a, sur a life-saving surgery to have my entire large intestine removed um, at the point I was nearly dying. So there was a whole kind of, imagine like a, a plane landing on a runway. There's that just that slow descent that eventually kind of nosedived kind of midway through 2017 to uh, the end of 2017 where I just nearly, nearly cocked it. And 
had a life-saving surgery as mentioned and then kind of really implemented the health everything that i had known prior that i didn't put into practice i then put into practice after and yeah just had completely built rebuild my body um and i've really had enjoyed the process of doing that right and um how did you start learning about rebuilding your body um well i've been in the health and fitness industry and i would say more so just the bodybuilding industry because it was like fitness and bodybuilding first then it was health second it was like get as big and shredded as you can then worry about health so it wasn't health orientated but i've been in that industry for now going on uh 12 years 11 12 years and as i was getting sick there were very there were a lot of reductionist things i was looking at so it was like oh you know wim hof breathing that'll help condition the autonomic nervous system or uh there's you can do some fasting you can do this so there's all these little cogs that i was discovering but i was never implementing them and i was never taking my health seriously it was still bodybuilding first do whatever it fucking takes to be a competitive bodybuilder and then worry about your health and just keep that on the side so again it's like it takes us to have that real awakening for us to go okay I need to get my priorities in place. And it wasn't until the point where it was actually too late. I was like, okay, now I'll try and get my health back. But by that point, you know, I had a necrotic large intestine inside of me that had holes perforated. There was just so much crap in my body. And this thing was literally decimated. If anyone's ever seen it, um, there were many a few viewers out there that have seen it, but this thing was like dead tissue. So by the time I was like, oh, I'll save myself now. It was like, sorry, mate, too late. Um, you're going to need your entire large intestine out. So it was, at that point where I go, okay, I've now been given a second chance. I've been given my life back. I'm going to actually take this seriously now. And I still wasn't perfect, but I absolutely made that a priority. And then I made it whatever I took to get healthy, my priority. So it would have been about two, two and a half years now of very, very serious, um, yeah, I guess, health implementations to, to build my body back. Yeah. No. Um, how tall are you, by the way? 5'10". 510. So just for those listening, Mitch was, was it about 110 kilos at yeah, your Yeah, got, got up to about 113, 114 at my heaviest. And then at your lightest? And then my lightest skin and bone was 56 kilos. So, so it's half, half. Half your body weight, yeah. which is just to give everyone at home an idea of, um, yeah, yeah, what exactly it happens. Literally so. just split your body down the middle and just take that chunk off. Yeah. yeah. And only in a matter of about six months as well. Right. And that, that was the point that that nose was like, so the plane was nose diving. Nose diving, yeah. yeah. I remember I was recording, I was like, how is this possible, you know? not realizing that malabsorption and assimilation we're going to later, but not realizing I was doing three and a half thousand calories a day, about 280 grams of protein and losing about two kilos a week. So when you consider malabsorption and when you're chronically compromised digestively, it was like in through the mouth and out through the asshole. Like there was no absorption, no utilization. There was pancreatic compromise, liver compromise, in, you know, stomach. It was just everything was fucked. So to go from those three and a half thousand calories and be losing two kilograms a week on average at the start to then when I had the surgery doing about 1200 calories and gaining about two kilos a week. Right. Just the difference would just blew me away. Yeah. So it's not so much what you eat, it's what you absorb. What you absorb and what you utilize. Yeah. Totally. So um, before we start, this is not by any means a crack at the, um, the healthcare system, but just to get everyone on the same level, it's just to discuss the current system. Sure. And why it might not necessarily be, you know, all it's cracked up to be. Because um, I think as as we're sort of taught, um, you know, we don't know much and the doctor knows all. And, yeah, yeah. you know, some of us might do our own little research with bits and bobs here and there. But um, what we're going to talk about and hopefully learn a bit about is um, the symptom-based approach mm. in the healthcare system. So... Um, let me know what your thoughts are and um, I'll try and um, chip in where I yeah. can. 
I think the first thing is like you just already mentioned, which is a good thing, is that I'm not here to rag on anyone. Um, I went through the whole phase of like, fuck big farmer and fuck doctors and like all that. And you know, that, was, that had to very quickly be aside because then I was caught in my own bullshit and it wasn't helping anyone. Um, I'm not pro anything. I'm just anti bullshit and I love the truth. Like my awakening was realizing that my life here is only uh, realistically at the end of the day coming down to finding truth. Um, so, you know, as you mentioned, the symptom-based thinking is very much still apparent in the healthcare industry. And I would say, and this is, I'm, I'm, I would vehemently defend this, I would say 80 to 90% of what goes on in hospitals is barbaric. Absolutely yeah. barbaric. Yeah, I think even just a simple one without even going too deep is like the food that's served. Yeah. Uh, it's just... Horrendous. Yeah. An absolute joke. Yeah. This would be okay maybe perhaps for 18th century thinking. Uh, but this is 2019 and there's just way too many, too many smart, intelligent people in there uh, in this world and way too many advances in our knowledge and just consciousness as, as a whole, as a, as a collective for us to continually be treating people the way they are being treated when they go into these things called hospitals. I remember my first experience of that, you know, I was always a curious child. I'm a bit of an old soul and, and you know, I've always been curious. Like I remember one stage in my childhood my parents got to the point they were like getting pissed off that I kept asking why it didn't snow in Perth because they kept saying it just doesn't get cold enough. And I kept saying, but why? Like this constant why I need to know and so to, to quench that thirst. So my first experience of that was when, you know, I first got the pain. So, you know, I, I thought I was healthy, ended up getting this massive pain, cut a long story short, in hospital the next day, shooting blood 20 times a day. That was my first experience of this, this disease. Pumped with IV hydrocortisone, antibiotics, all these immunosuppressive drugs, had no fucking clue what's going on. Never even heard of this, this thing before. I knew mum was a bit sick, but I never inquired as a kid, right? So even as a 20-year-old, I just didn't really know much about it. And anyway, I got out of this flare because, you know, you're resting so much. Your body's naturally going to get better. And I'd been suppressed as well. So I go to the specialist about two months later for my checkup. And I won't say his name for, for obvious reasons, but I call him Bob. And this doctor, Bob, I went in and, and he's writing out, you know, scripts and this and notes and on the computer doing the doctor thing. And, and, just, and I said, look, Bob look, I'm not the expert here. I'm 20. I've been a PT for about three years. I know the basic nutrition. Are you telling me that my diet has nothing to do with this condition? And blank stare looked me in the face. He goes, no, nothing to do with it. There's nothing you can really do. It's incurable. You basically have it for life. You'll be on these drugs for the rest of your life and you may need surgery. And it was just a point blank stare like he was literally an asleep robot. And I remember the sliding doors. This is back at Fremantle Hospital. I remember opening the door and I just see a long line of people that were being ready to hear the exact same thing. Like these sick, you could feel the energy. They were like, they wanted answers. They were obviously quite scared. You know, they just wanted to feel better and they were going to receive the exact same robotic answer. So at that point I was like, okay, this is not right. And that's where that kind of hunt started. But I still prioritize bodybuilding. You know, and that goes into like, there's, there's all these deep things that I uncovered about why. And I just fucking love bodybuilding because I watched a lot of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> um, but, but the point was, is that at that point, even straight away, I knew like, okay, there's something wrong. This is a system where people go to university for seven years and spend about 200K to learn the ins and the outs of the body. And this is the best you can come up with. This is dog shit. I need to know better. And that, again, that curious child thing kind of came up. So again, you know, my hunt um, was very reductionist. I was always trying to find these like one things or these little things that would make the difference. And naturally didn't. You kind of have to combine everything, whether it's stress mitigation, meditation, nutrition, detoxification, fasting, herbs, greens, all these things to help regenerate the body. Because at the end of the day, if you keep it simple, there's only two sides to life. I talk about this all the time. We have the male, the female, the yin, the yang, the positive, the negative. And if you can degenerate the body, you can regenerate. 
Okay. No one's going to live forever. We know the body ages. You know, we have this oxidative stress, this natural process of aging and dying. But the reality is, is if you damage the body, you can heal the body. And in the same way, if you fall off your skateboard and you graze your knee, you don't rub sandpaper over it. You don't continue to ride your skateboard and possibly bang it again. You, you know, heal it. You might put some aloe vera and a bandage and you rest it. So it heals. The body naturally heals. So... This only really came about when I was actually at that death point of this, like all these white light bulbs clicking. But at that time, I was like, I just needed answers. And it wasn't until later I realized it is all based upon stopping the damage that gets you there in the first place, which is kind of like your house on fire. It's putting the fire out first. Then you've got to go in and see how much collateral damage is there. And the rate it takes for you to clean up that mess and heal your body and get it back to symptom-free is relative to the individual's genetics, how fast they respond, their environment, their, maybe their financial capacity to help with other things. There's lots of multifaceted things. So all in all, circumventing this back to this treatment-based symptom uh, thinking, it still runs in today. Uh, I had like the fourth person this week talk to me and said, I've just been diagnosed with this. And it just, it keep, like, and they're coming to me and it just blows my mind when I hear they say, I've just been pumped with antibiotics. This, it was like, it's like the exact same thing that eight years ago happened to me. Nothing's really changed. Yep. Uh, and I'm just so anti-bullshit that like, I'm just taking a stand now. And, and you know, my, I'm really trying to push this work over the next five to 10 years to want to possibly be published you know, to work with medical doctors, I have no, you know, we spoke before, I was like, there's no, you know, fuck big pharma and fuck doctors. There's none of that. That no, phase is gone. Big pharma has obviously saved like Big pharma saved of millions of yeah, lives. Yeah. This is not a natural versus pharma. This is actually the in-between where how can you actually relatively look at a human body and say, this is when pharmaceuticals or uh, some kind of treatment could be beneficial or yeah. in the short term, but how do you fix the problem? Because at this rate, it is a lifetime customer retention system. Yes. They ne- notice that they're never going to cure anything. They're never going to make you 100% healthy. Their job is only to drug or cut. That's it. Yep. And they do a pretty fucking good job at it. Yeah. Sometimes. Because um, I was butchered in one surgery, but that's another story. But yeah, this, this whole treatment-based thinking has to stop. The whole appeal to authority that when I get a symptom of something, and this comes down to personal responsibility too. People have to say, yeah, you know what? I got myself here and I need to get myself out. Yeah. When you, when you become powerless and you become you know, the victim and this, this whole idea of the victim comes through and you give your power away to someone, well, you, that's just as much your fault too. And I say that with grace because I did the exact same thing. Oh, these, you know, they're going to find the cure. They're going to find the next drug and that one will work. And they give you this, just, just this false hope. It's always this dangling carrot just in front of your face. So yeah. again, when I had to wake up to this bullshit system, I also had to wake up to my own bullshit. And when you marry those two, it's very, very powerful because you take the power back yep. and it becomes a journey of learning your body and what you need in order to remedy your health. Yeah, and no, it's funny you mentioned that. And I just think about like, I feel like we've like, been curing cancer for like 20 years or <laughs> yeah, something. Just, yeah, Nixon declared the war, I think it was late 60s or early 70s and they still haven't found one. You know? Yeah. Um, it's not going to happen. Illuminati. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, no, but like a, a really a really interesting one, which I feel like a lot of people could relate. Um, I probably, I used to work at a detention center and just the high contact oh, in health and welfare engagement. I was always out um, in, the, in the field or in the gym. Um, There's a lot of like, um, physical contact and lots of unwell people as mm. well. Like, I don't want to talk too much about that, but I was getting sick a lot and I kind of learned like, this is not right. Whether it was um, the altitude or the environment, the heat, the cold or the, the constant germs and yeah. infections that was surrounding this unhealthy environment. Yeah. Um, but like, I know I'm prone to sinus infections. This was three years ago where I probably was getting three or four in the year, which was very uncomfortable. Um, and then I got like a mild one presently, maybe about a month ago. And I know the the symptoms, what it feels like, the 
I'll get achy. Uh, I'll feel like congestion in my um, like my nose and sinus area because it's a bit smaller. I'll get maybe an achy feeling in my teeth. Um, but typical me, back in the day, um, doctor knows best, mum mm. knows best. Go to the doctor, go get antibiotics, antibiotics do, the, yeah. do the drill. Um, nothing wrong with that. Didn't you know know everything back then? Still don't know everything now. But mm. I asked you for a protocol, and it's better if you just explain it for everyone. But what it basically uh, conveyed to me was that you want to put your body in a state of healing, you know, sure. making yeah. sure you're getting 200 grams of protein is not the, <laughs> not pri- relevant it's not the priority <laughs> as much as, you yeah. know, I think especially I'll- when you consider we had to walk across the savannah at one point, we weren't really dying of protein deficiency. And yeah. I think if you went into a hospital now, you wouldn't see the list of the most people dying from protein <laughs> deficiencies, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit bro but let's be honest. Sure. Some of us, uh, we're all very guilty of the, um, yeah, you know, we get into the gym, we build muscle and we want to keep that muscle. We don't want to rest and, you know, not eat. So exactly. So, yeah. um, um, we can just reenact this and I'm going to go, <laughs> oh, Hey Mitch, I've got a sinus infection. Um, what do you suggest? <laughs> You're a dirty, toxic mess. <laughs> <laughs> You're broken. Go get antibiotics. <laughs> Look, at most things, the best things people, and this is such a standardized thing. This is obviously not medical advice or the one size fits all, but the standardized thing to do when you're feeling sick, run down, congested is to stop eating. As I'm sure people have heard, Dr. Bruce Lipton, all these guys, we're nothing but energy, right? This whole world, this whole level is nothing but energy in different frequencies. So you have a, a finite and limited amount of energy within your body too right your body is an adaptive amazing machine like if you look at carbohydrate metabolism pathways and protein pathways like our body is just incredible at the way it can utilize food but also not utilize food when it's in a fasted state so when you start to feel run down you feel inflamed a bit swollen achy that's your body's symptom of saying you are congested you know our immune system's affected there may be an infection and we need to go fight this so the very last thing you want to be doing is putting a domino's pizza into your stomach and putting all those resources into digestion because it's just not going to help um quick side note and then i go back to this uh when i had my second surgery because it was 12 months apart from my first one when i nearly died um i checked out quite early and I remember the sign-off sheet. Uh, I'll call her Melissa, but it wasn't her name. This Melissa, she was a senior professor of gastroenterology at, at, at this hospital. And uh, I saw her name, so I looked up on Facebook because she was so nice at this second surgery. And I just said, um, you know, thanks, Melissa. Um, it was really amazing to, to have you there and all your support. And she just came back with a message and said, you have got to be the fastest healing patient we've ever seen at Fiona Stanley Hospital. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, cool like obviously what i've learned and implemented has worked because i made they wanted to keep me in for about eight or nine days and i checked out in three they wanted me on painkillers for six weeks i was off in three days they wanted me on antibiotics for like four months and i didn't take one um and i'm not recommending that to anyone i'm just telling you what my experience was so coming back to this idea now it was like okay i had major surgery and whether it's that or getting sick or congested run down achy this idea that when you fast and that's also relative there might also you know in, in very uh weak people or very um slender people they actually might need nutrients it's again it's relative but for most people it is to stop eating so that your body can kick into somewhat of a detoxification like a heightened you're always detoxing but a heightened detoxification stage where your immune system can start to use old defunct immune cells uh you heighten what's called autophagy that's always again occurring but you heighten it your macrophages are like little pac-men they can come around and chew up old debris 
um, you have this, this, it's basically consciousness called chemotaxin and we've seen it under a microscope where your lymphocytes and other white blood cells can go and change direction as they start to feel, see and detect invaders and pathogens and these antigens and stuff like that. So when you stop eating, you know, to complement that, it's rest as well. The last thing you're doing is expending energy. So it's like get on the couch and watch some Netflix or get out in the sun. You know, sunlight is a huge one. Get in the ocean, get into a sauna, sleep as much as you possibly can because when you're sleeping, it's, it's like plugging your mobile phone in at night. So, you know, recovery should be the absolute priority because I've also experienced, this is just anecdotal, but I've also experienced what it's like to get, say, like a cold and flu when I was completely immune compromised, completely lymphatically compromised. It would take two to three weeks of like chronic coughing and blowing my nose. Mm. That was the standard for me before I felt better, like it was funny on the mend. Now, first of all, I don't really get sick at all. I, I can't remember the last time I got sick. I recently got a bit of a, fluey thing from from bali uh one because another country and two I had some guy literally breathe on my face so it took two days to turn that around yeah so i've i know and in the same with with cuts i it once took when i was so sick it took six weeks three days to stop bleeding and six weeks to heal just a simple cut yeah. and now if i cut myself you know again a couple of days and it's basically gone so that again is anecdotal but it's a personal experience to see that you can change the rate of healing you can change the rate of how sick you get for, for and relative to where you're at but, you know, the, the standardized protocol is heal. What, what does that mean to you? Rest, stop eating, you know, maybe have some herbs, sunlight, stress mitigation, sleep as much as you possibly can and do everything that your body can then direct its resources to getting better. Yeah, because um, just for people who don't know what homeostasis is, is the, the body being in a state of balance. And if you can help the body be in a state of you know, healing, the mm. focus is on the, the healing, the recovery, the regeneration um, side, yeah. regeneration, getting rid of things that are going to, um, affect that, whether that be like stress, anxiety, um, pathogens, pathogens, yeah. germs, whatever yeah. it may be. You're basically trying to think, okay, I want to create the most ideal environment. And like you said, you can even, um, detox by sweating when you were saying yeah. with the sauna as yeah. well is like another, thing as well definitely obviously don't like belt yourself and well, try again and- if you're a, if you're an 82 year old grandma i'm not going to say get into a get into sauna, sauna. Yeah, exactly like 30 kilos then no that's not yeah. relative yeah yeah because um just uh prior to going into the fast um i had some juices yep. which was great like it was just like even if i thought i was going to get like super hungry i think by the end of about just over a day i was like oh god this is uncomfortable it's mm. just like it was almost like the equivalent of like running a half marathon which i'd done when i was younger <laughs> and you get to about 20 k's and it's like only if you've run that distance you'll know what it feels like yeah. where it just feels like Death. it just really sucks it's yeah. just a really uncomfortable feeling in the stomach and it's not like acute it's just like this mild grumble but mm. like it's you've just burnt like, I don't know, 3000 calories, calories or something. Yeah. yeah. So you're obviously empty, but this is not like I'm going to die and disappear. And, um, you know, there's no muscle left or anything, but it was just getting a bit uncomfortable. But then just after about a day, mm. uh, I reintroduced juices again. I, th- I just think I bought like probably like two liters and just sort of sipped on it. Um, but once again, that's not going to really throw me out of a, you know, heavy digest. It's not going to put me in a heavy digestion. It's just yeah. a liquid, yeah. um, with obviously some micronutrients and whatnot, which I'm sure would help. And then just allowing your body then, cause it's the most, you know, that the, 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 the let's just call it the chemicals in that drink 
So the, the yield of energy with the minimal digestive process that goes on, again, allows to free up resources for your immune system. Yeah. You know, so again, that's, that's really what you're doing. You're giving the power to your own immune system, your own consciousness that runs. Like, what is beating your heart? What's digesting your food? What's keeping you alive? That is the consciousness that runs that you don't have to think about. It just does it. Yeah. You don't have to wake up in the morning and go, how do I switch my thyroid gland on? It just works. Yeah. And then, you know, through our minds and through modern lifestyles, when things start to go down or hyper or whatever, we get these diseases. We go, oh, my stupid body. And it's not like, oh, maybe it's that lifestyle of me drinking every weekend of pizza and <laughs> trashing this and having a stressful relationship and all those things that could possibly affect my body, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's great. Uh, I think a lot of people could relate to that. And um, just we're not doctors, but <laughs> just good yeah. that we uh, put that out there. Um, I just really want to know because... I think a lot of people would be wondering as well, what exactly do antibiotics do? What are antibiotics and what, what happens inside? Yeah. Um, yeah. For, first, back with the doctor thing, I'm, I'm, and this is not like a, some comparison, I'm glad I'm not a medical doctor because I got asked, you know, why do you become a doctor? And I said, why, why, the people that are coming to me, I've been to doctors. This is, this is crazy. I'm not someone that says, I know all the answers and I'm the fucking king and I'm Jesus Christ himself. I'm here just to learn just as much as anyone else and I don't have all the answers. However, the people that come to me say they've spent 5, 10, 20 years with doctors, 10, 20, 30 drugs, 5,000, 10,000, 100. I've had one guy that spent $250,000. So it just, that's why I wanted to say that because it's like, yeah, I'm not a medical doctor, but part of me would never want to be one unless I you know, want to be an amazing surgeon. And again, surgery and life-saving stuff is just incredible. I praise what I've seen in, in surgery rooms and, and what, even what I've been done and the, some of my friends that have been saved. So again, no hagging on them, but this is just the kind of the reality that's what's going on. Yeah. Antibiotics, look, again, I'm no expert, but essentially the, the, the base mechanism, most of them are sulfur-based where when they're digested and absorbed through the body um, and metabolized through the liver, they basically, whatever's proliferating in kind of this like out of control uh, a state again you know it's not like you want to get rid of candida or h pylori or any of these things it's just the, the symbiosis that you can live with bacteria as opposed to that bacteria proliferating out of control so if you have some kind of infection uh, and again this is very standardized sulfur-based antibiotics basically attach themselves to that cell and impede the cell membrane from replicating so that's the basis of, so once it can't replicate, it can't continue to grow. And that's why even when you start to, to see symptoms go, doctors keep saying, don't stop your antibiotics, like run the whole course because mm. it takes a certain amount of time for these cell membranes to stay down so they can't replicate. Your body can then kind of hit its own homeostasis. Um, but there is a very slippery slope with antibiotics. Sure. And do you want me to kind of go into the reason why they can be so dangerous, why they can also be beneficial? Well, yeah, I think, I think a, a, it's just so easy to go, I can just go to the doctor, go get this thing this yeah. antibiotic yeah. and i don't have to change anything and i could be okay and yeah. go about my day the, mo the most simplistic way to look at it is if you have weeds growing in your garden an antibiotic is a pair of scissors at the base of the weed so it, yes it will do the job but it has not got to the why as to why you're seeing this proliferation of bacteria right a healthy human body you'd find it very i mean like that's true not like oh i'm healthy but then i still got cancer well no then you weren't healthy a truly healthy human body will find a very, depending genetics, very hard time uh, to get sick. So if you're someone that's continuously getting infections and colds and sinuses and coughs and splutters and this like that, you want to focus on the why I'm getting this and yeah. why am I constantly. So your antibiotics are a great band-aid and yes, they'll do the job, but pharmaceuticals, you know, Yasma, my partner, she'd explain it to me like this. Pharmaceuticals are very much like if you're drowning in the middle of a river or the ocean, it's the donut boy that kind of keeps you afloat, but it ain't going to get you to the ocean. 
yeah. that you getting to the ocean is you fixing your lifestyle and fixing the fundamental reasons as to why you know we, we, we're going to talk about cause and effect and this is a cause and effect world I and mean, that's that's the basis of physics yeah. cause effect and we have to stop this that's why we're talking about the treatment-based thinking before it's all based upon effects i don't care what you have i want to know why you have it uh, and nine times out of ten it's, it's actually the same thing it's you know usually congestion of your immune system and lymphatic system and just complete breakdown of the human body yeah and i think it's a, a really big thing as well is um just taking ownership if you are getting sick maybe just assess what, assess what you're doing in your lifestyle if whether it's you're partying really hard or you've got a shift job mm. um that's probably affecting you um most people are behind computer screens 10 hours a day not getting any sunlight circadian out, not sleeping not moving correct so accumulation of things um, yeah i mean so it's a big it's a big picture and it's not usually just the the one thing it's correct it's yep. a bit of a story yeah um no that's Do you if i just finish off on the antibiotic thing the other the other thing too is uh i won't touch deeply on this because this is kind of like a topic in itself that would last all day but you know in this world let's go big scale like you know you think about the actual planet we have multitudes of environments so there's like the ocean is an environment there's an entire ecosystem in there the sahara desert is an environment the amazon jungle is an environment everything is an environment related to where you're living but equally so our human bodies house an environment and again if you come back to the most simplistic forms of life you have two sides right so kind of like again you have male female yin yang anabolic catabolic you see it everywhere right and when your body tilts into what's called more of a cationic, and that's dehydration, that's sticky, stiff, when people start to go tight like a board, aches, pains, that's a cationic culturing medium or cationic terrain or environment in your body. And that's more prone to infection. When your body becomes more anionic, hydrated, fluid, um, mobile, that's when you're going to see less and less and less proliferation of bacteria because everything can flow. You don't get the backing up of things and the slowing down of elimination. So you think about your car, if you had like an exhaust that had maybe a one millimeter exhaust, so only a tiny bit could get out, you're going to get backup because the rate of exhaustion is, is mm. faster than the rate of the elimination that you're allowing it to do. So, you know, we are constantly eliminating. You think about sweat, pee, poo, breath, constantly. And you know yourself, if you didn't shower for a week, how bad you would smell. Uh, if you held onto your bladder for three days, wouldn't end very well, right? Probably so, a UTI. Yeah. So we are constantly eliminating down to the cellular level, really it's at the atomic level, but the cellular level. And as we slowly over days, weeks, months, years, decades, mm. uh, compromise these elimination pathways, we get the backing up of cellular debris. And that is the job of bacterium. When you see an animal die, what's the first thing that happens? Flies, maggots, bacteria break down atoms. That's just the nature of life. So the environment becomes more conducive to proliferation of bacteria if it's not healthy and able to fight off invaders. That's the whole job of the immune system, right? So I just wanted to add that in. Again, antibiotics, do they work? Yes. Is there a double-edged sword? Absolutely, because the danger of that, and again, I won't go into this, is they start to affect your immune and lymphatic system. Yeah. and that, Big time. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that definitely... Um you look at anyone with fibromyalgia, lupus, Lyme, arthritis, you ask them how many antibiotics you had in their life. If they've been through the, the system, they'll just say rounds and rounds and rounds. And they, those antibiotics, they don't discriminate. It's anti-opposing biotic life. Mm. So they kill all bacteria. And I don't really like to say good or bad bacteria. That's, that's really a very nebulous term. But you have about 600 lymph nodes give or take in the body. And these antibiotics start to destroy the bacteria that break down debris in the body. So that's when you start to see things like aches in the body and UTIs and infections because you're not, you don't have the bacterium to break down debris and cellular acids in the body to actually then eliminate them in a healthy way. So you start to, again, have this backup. You have to start this congestion and this agglomeration in the body, and that starts to cause the breakdown of the human body. And you will see signs and symptoms. It's just only a matter of time. But 
that's pretty common with aging, right? I assume as you get older, this would be harder to deal with. Yeah, like anything. I mean, everyone's going to die. No one's trying to live forever. I'm not here to live to 165, right? It's just you want to enjoy the quality of life. Of course. Yeah, and I think um, it's really important to add that when I worked in a nursing home as a physio assistant, um, I just used this example of like what people look like at 80 mm. and I've seen bed bound, can't move, yeah. dementia, yeah. Um, somewhere like fighting fit and mm. it's really interesting to talk to them and see what their lifestyle was <laughs> like and what they were doing and one example was a lady was she was quite able um high level of dementia like she was just had no idea what was going on but she was a brickie with a partner mm. she was a female brickie <laughs> so obviously physically fine Active, yeah. but she just wasn't really using her brain for anything yeah. like she was just kind of like that's all she knew and supported yeah. her partner and yeah. Um, just obviously you don't use it, you lose it type thing as Absolutely well. Absolutely that. And another thing to think to see with, with, with the aging of people and, you know, it's thrown around all the time, but I really want to emphasize it is genetics. Yeah. If you are born to compromise ancestral lines, so your great, great grandparents had the cancer genes and the arthritis or whatever genes that they've kept passing, 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 and no one was really fixing their genes. Cause you know, now, you know, like epigenetics are ruling, uh, modern, even modern science and modern medical literature at the moment, which is showing the body is adaptable. Genes can change. So if you are born with compromised parents and you have weak genes, you're the person that's probably going to sniff oxygen and get some kind of disease, right? You have to really, and people say all the time to me, like, why can so-and-so do that? But I can't, and I got sick. And, you know, that's just a way to brush off your own responsibility. But at the end of the day, you will find people that are 95 and smoke and drank their whole life and ate cheeseburgers, and they just had the fucking buffering systems to protect them. Yeah. And people that live a very healthy lifestyle and get cancer at 59. And that's just the way life is. In nature, there is one primary law, and that is the weak are consumed and the strong survive period that is just the natural law of evolution so when you see those older people sometimes it's just a case of they just had great fucking parents and great parents before them and great parents before them it's just a strong lineage in nature alpha genetics alpha genetics baby so but they Um, can be changed yes of course um takes time yeah just try and take ownership (laughs) 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 all right um we were talking about a bunch of um diseases um that maybe commonly people think weren't reversible um yeah, yeah. that i just total lie yeah i i don't really know where to start but i'll definitely let you take the lead on this one like you have this pretty much this whole podcast but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's you feel a, left out Shivan? <laughs> a little bit <laughs> speak up anytime um yes so we did speak about a bunch of diseases yeah. and um I think, yeah, you drew, you drew this little flower diagram in front of me. I'm just looking at it. <laughs> Thinking, how do I transition to this next topic? But yeah, um, I just think people need to know a bunch of these really common diseases that you will hear. And I think it's really important that we do bring it up mm. because you are very likely to know someone yep. who knows someone who's probably got one of these things. Yeah. And there is ways that you can help. Obviously, don't like, be rude about it but there's obviously things that they can do where they could take a bit of ownership well that's the number one thing you can only lead a horse to water right yeah only lead a horse to water i think the on that note of of and you know things evolve things change so this is where kind of i'm at and what i've seen and again i i don't really care for much except the truth so this is my truth and i will vehemently defend it and that is that you know about the 1950s and 1960s um, especially kind of post-World War II when we saw the elevation of many industries, but we also the elevation of chronic disease with, with modern lifestyles that are just so not conducive to human health and the optimal function of a human body. 
And so you see things like cardiovascular disease, you see things like cancers, arthritis, lupus, Lyme, type 1 diabetes, type 2, type 3, type fucking 3.752, actually it doesn't really matter. But all quite, if, you, if you're in the medical allopathic world, you're going to call it a disease. If you're in what I would call truth, reality, nature, chemistry, physics, you're going to see dis-ease. It's, it's the, the unbalancing of energy. It's the unbalancing of, if you want to come to the human body, endocrine glands. It's the unbalancing of an organ or systems in the human body. So a good one example is diabetes. People, you know, it was like, first of all, it was like when you had type 2 diabetes, it was incurable. It was irreversible. Once you had it, you're on insulin or and or metformin for life. Then about, you know, shortly on, people were just changing their lifestyles, exercising, because type 2 is much easier than type 1, but people were just changing their lifestyles um, and, and all of a sudden not having blood sugar problems were coming off their, their insulin and, and metformin. What do you know? Their body was back in this homeostasis, and that, again, is true of all laws of nature, no matter where you look. It's like Jesus Christ taught, you reap what you sow. The Buddha taught karma. Isaac Newton taught for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. In chemistry, there's a Le Chatelier's principle. It doesn't matter where you look, everything in this reality in the third dimension wants to find a balance. And when you throw that balance off, medically speaking, let's say it's an endocrine gland, it's going to go hyper or hypo. And that endocrine gland will affect an organ or organs, which ultimately affect a system. And that's where we see symptoms that are in now dis-ease. So the goal is to go, what caused this dis-ease? Was it, yes, did I have the genetic uh, uh, tendency or the genetic, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, I was prone, prone, yeah, genetically prone to getting this. And then also, okay, my entire lifestyle, that could have been just straws on a camel's back. Um, so, you know, again, it was like type two was irreversible, incurable. Now, all of a sudden, it actually is, you know, most people still don't know it, but it very, very is well established that, that you can do it. In fact, there was one a Slovakian doctor that's just published a study. She had 100% of patients get off their insulin and diabetics with a plant-based diet. Not that I'm going to promote a plant-based diet, but that's just what they use. It was the NIH protocol, and they have 100% of diabetics get off their, uh, their insulin. Type one, the only difference really with type one is one, there is a stronger genetic, uh, that is well established, uh, medically speaking, and there's no, there's no debate there, I think. But again, that still doesn't mean it can't be reversed through deep means of detoxification and healing um, i even worked with a type one he he's so fucking advanced mentally and emotionally he, he just handles it so so well um, but we've got his insulin use down tremendously i tend to lean more towards the liver than the actual pancreas um, but it can still be pancreas and pituitary gland i'm not really going to go into it but again you have to look at why your blood sugars are going hypo or hyper there are mechanical ways that the body deals with these things. And when you look at things like the adrenal glands, that's sugar metabolism control, three cortisol. You have the liver as kind of the blood glucose commander. Your pancreas is involved with certain digestive enzymes. Your pituitary and hypothalamus uh, in the brain, they kind of control and regulate this. So again, you have to wonder why is this happening? It's enough to just go, oh, you were born with it, or, you know, I was six and I was diagnosed. Okay, who fucking cares? Obviously, the lifestyle you're living was not conducive to that, or it was enough to get you over the line. So what do we have to do now in order for you to heal it? And that could be everything from, again, the metaphysical, you've seen, you know, uh, 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 miracle remissions from people that just meditated their diseases weight, right? Now, I would never recommend that because that's quite reductionist, but it just goes to show you that stage four cancer, arthritis, type one, cardiovascular disease, it doesn't matter. It's just a dis-ease of optimal human function where you know magnetic energy you again the physics of your body the chemistry of your body is running in an optimal fashion it knows it knows how to get you well we get in the way our lifestyles get in the way our late night scrolling our pizzas our stress our arguments our jobs our everything alcohol tobacco all these things are getting in the way 
And even again, sometimes we obsess about health to the point it becomes unhealthy. It's about, oh, I'm so healthy, I do everything right. But really, they were just so obsessive, it became a mental illness, right? So this is where just self-auditing such a powerful process where meditation, I would say, is quite a good one in terms of more the simplistic stuff because you can start to audit and again, take on that ownership and responsibility of what is it I really need to change in order to get well, you know, to actually get my victim archetype and actually just stop my own bullshit to the most severe and advanced cases of people with, you know, like chronic heart disease or chronic cancer or chronic type one. Um, there is no one size fits all for disease. I would say even uh, diagnosis and prognosis. And there is no one size fits all for healing. It is individual context. And this is where people are slowly waking up and realizing, oh shit, this is my body and I have to take responsibility for it. And if they're not well equipped with that knowledge to go, it, look, I always say like this, you know, Einstein's famous quote, we've all heard it, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting the result is the definition of insanity. So when you go into a doctor with type one and you're told you need to take insulin for the rest of your life and you do the same thing over and over again but nothing changes you know that is in essence madness um, and there's even medical literature to show that the pancreas if we're just going on that pancreatic route is a regenerative organ everything is regenerative right so again this is very simplistic i'm not saying people need to stop their medication all of a sudden go on a healing pathway again that's your responsibility what i am saying is the system we currently have in place just needs so much work unfucking the toxic nature that is basically you're broken you have this for life and here's your lifetime membership subscription to these drugs it's yeah. just it's got to stop <clears throat> it has to change after all this darkness of talking. Um, <laughs> How doomy um, and gloomy. But so, yes, there is hope. Yeah. So um, ne- neither of oh, obviously, Mitch isn't here to heal people through the podcast. Where no. It's a platform to basically Bring let awareness. people know, take some ownership and things that you could possibly do um, or pass on to people who might be unwell. Yeah. So things, things you can do um, that aren't going to break the bank and yeah, are very accessible and doable by all. Yeah, I think the first thing to say, you've kind of said it, is first of all, I'm not here to heal anyone over a podcast, but I also give most people the benefit of the doubt. You know, sometimes we like to think, oh, people are so stupid, and da, da, da. And that, look, there are very intelligent people and there are some not so bright people. But at the end of the day, the listener listening to this right now knows. They know the majority of the things that are going, yeah, I should probably stop doing that thing. Yeah, this thing's actually not serving me anymore. And sometimes those things are so unconscious. They're, you know, the inner saboteur, the, you know, the little shame part of us. They make us do very unconscious things, whether it's drink our liver uh, liver silly, whether it's, you know, binge eat, whether it's all of those things. You know, there should be no judgment placed upon anyone because we all have our own shit. The reality is, is that the listener right now is in their body listening to this message and it is up to them to want to change if they need to. You could also be kind of healthy, uh, but want to feel fucking thriving. And there are also still plenty of things you can do too. I mean, kind of on the other end, I still have plenty of people that come to me and I do very comprehensive blood testing. It's like between 17 and 20 biomarkers. And sometimes they come back perfect, which doesn't surprise me. And they, you know, they'll still say, I feel like a bag of shit, which doesn't surprise me because the venous system is actually the wrong system to be looking at. That's a system of continuity. And that's a system that has to keep constant because if it's not, you're dead in about uh, three minutes, right? So... The, the venous system is one very, very small part. Yet people say, oh, I'm healthy. My blood markers are all in check. And like, you know, they could drop dead of a heart attack you know, in two weeks' time. So again, to the person listening, I would say from the get-go before I even say anything, they know if you just took five minutes to sit still and just write on a piece of paper, what are some of the shit that I just have to stop doing? Because it's, it's often it's like, what supplement do I need to take? What thing do I need to add in? And a lot of the time I'm like, no, 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 just 
put the elephant in the room. What's the big thing you need to take out? <laughs> yeah, and, and just a classic one from the previous podcast is like supplementation. It's like, oh, like what protein do I need? Like, I think that literally like breaks my brain. <laughs> and I think it's the same with like what what pill do I need to take? Yeah, um, definitely. To whether it's like high blood pressure and yeah, um, I don't know, diabetes or whatever. And there's smart supplementation again. Yeah, individual context. Someone might come to me and I go, you know what? This is just this is just the key person for this herb or this mushroom or this supplement or you might need some fish oil you know yeah so whatever it is um i would say the biggest one is stress and the reason i start with stress and that can sometimes be obvious but for anyone that's really not considered how important stress is um, one you know dr ronda patrick's talked about when you can get your cholesterol measured if you have a quite distressful event happen for i think it's 24 to 48 hours your serum cholesterol can be elevated and quite high yeah to the point you might go oh fuck this is kind of a catch-22 you see it let's say it's outside of range and then you freak out about the high cholesterol in reality you just had a stressful event you needed to get it done three weeks later or so three days later and, and it, it'll be retested but i've seen you know also on a more practical level and anecdotal cases I've seen people, you know, let's say uh, I've had eczema cases, psoriasis cases, uh, Crohn's disease, colitis, whatever these cases, and all these healings go on and on and on and on, and then all of a sudden people break out into a flare or something, and I say, you know, what happened? Did we either just crack a deeper level of healing, or have you actually just had a stressful event? And it might have been, you know, I broke up with my boyfriend, my mom died, I lost my job, this happened. So just knowing, one, there is stress that you so cannot control. If you're a bit of a control freak, I'd say start with that, because realizing things happen in life, it's just the nature. Um but all the avoidable stress and stress mitigation techniques are just so paramount. I think I'd rather have an average diet and a very calm sense of being than the best diet, but that chronic low grade, you know, sympathetic fight or flight, unconscious stress with me because stress kills you. It affects your immune system. It affects your physiology, your neurochemistry. It affects literally pretty much every single cell in your body, every organ, every endocrine gland and every, and every uh, uh, bodily system in your body. So if you're someone that's out there that's going, you know, I know I should fix my stress, but, you know, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. I would just say, again, take a very uh, honest audit on yourself and what can you take out? Stress can be, you know, the the elusive toxic friend you don't even know you have. The ones that you go, fuck, did I just leave that conversation? Was it, did, didn't really uplift me. I don't really know if they're my friend or not. It can be yeah, the shitty boss and the shitty job and you go, oh, but I need money. But, you know, it's at the, the detriment of your own health. It can be working too many hours. Stress can be because you spend too much time in front of a computer screen. Again, I think most people are pretty intelligent enough to go, yeah, you know what? He's right. There is this stress in my life and I feel it in my neck. I feel it in my back. I feel it in my jaw. I have you know, tremors. I get overwhelmed easily. There's anxiety. Clearly, my nervous system is not in a state where I feel comfortable living. I feel like I'm constantly at threat. I wake up in a threat and I go to sleep in a threat. Well, that's the stress that you should really, in my opinion, address. Because we can talk about herbs. You can talk about nutrition, medicinal mushrooms and greens and all that kind of stuff. But I really... Those things are to me are almost secondary to the to the modern lifestyles that people live. Yeah, I know. Bruce Lipton really touches on um, how stress affects homeostasis. So if you are in a state of stress or a state of heightened uh, central nervous system state stimulation, yeah. stimulation um, that is going to take away from basically everything else. Yeah, um, and that could be healing. That could be health. That could be sleep, which um, I think is another one we we're going to talk oh, about. Massive. Um, so it, it goes without saying that if you're in a constant state of stress or anxiety, that is going to take away from your overall health. And that, that on its own, it, it might sound like a simple fix, get rid of the stress. But mm-hmm. even if you just reduce the stress, um, and that could be something as simple as like improving your time management. I know yep, for myself when time. I was in university, um, I would leave things late 
to stress myself out, get that adrenal effect and I get the assignment <laughs> done. I mean, that goes without saying, but most of us would know like the university lifestyle is not actually that bad. So it was kind of like, yeah, I can handle it. Yeah. But I think in the real world, as you get older and you have more responsibilities yeah, kids, and if you have a, jobs, yeah, all that rich, stuff, yeah. it all becomes cumulative and we forget about what about um, ourselves and what can we do for ourselves to improve our health? Cause obviously we're given this body and this time on earth and yeah. We should really value it. Absolutely. And, you know, you're kind of closing the stress. I don't want this to be a podcast of listing things. I, you know, really want to give the listener out there some actual practical tools. So kind of on the stress notion, apart from the self-auditing, like you could literally spend an hour on a Saturday morning after a work week and just go through your own life. Like imagine yourself as a high performance coach of your own life and start to write down all the things that you can uh, mitigate unnecessary, like the unnecessary stress that you can mitigate. The, the most simplistic thing is also um, uh, breath work. And, and deep breathe, conscious breathing, because, you know, again, the listeners right now, if you're listening to this, you've been breathing this entire time, you had no idea about it, but you can also take that conscious breath. And when we can take control of our breath, you know, there's this vagal toning, which stimulates your parasympathetic nervous system, that that's our natural rest and digest state. Um, that reduces like cortisol, cortisol, you know, adrenalines and just your general state of being just on a more feeling based level. So it's free. You can do it anytime. You could be at the computer desk. You could do it first thing in the morning. I like to do breath in the morning. That could be literally 10 breaths, 15 breaths, 30 breaths. It doesn't really fucking matter. Just breathe because breathing brings us back to that present state. We're not in that you know, depressed in the past. Think about that thing. Fuck, what did I do that? Oh, this thing happened. She, Sally said this, all that future of what if, where am I getting this from? How could this happen? We, you know, create all these scenarios that aren't present to us because as cliche and hippie as it sounds, it is true. We only have the present moment because even when you're thinking about the past or the future, you're still doing it in the now. So the breath is a beautiful way to mitigate unnecessary stress, bring you back to presence and you make better choices. We've all been in that previous argument. You might even still do it in that argumentative state. You walk away and you go, fuck, why did I say that? Because the majority of your brain was shut down. You're in a feared state. You're in this, you know, sympathetic fight or flight. So, with regards to the stress, the, the the cheapest thing you can do is naturally breathe. I would say on top of that, you can maybe do some adaptogens. Things are great. Things like ashwagandha, holy basil, rhodiola rosea, astragalus, things like this. You know, again, consult your healthcare profession before you do these things, unless you want to go out in your own boat and do it. Um, but yeah, stress is. I, I think that's the, the reason I want to touch on that first. It is just such a huge variable in human health and the way people go about their lives. Yeah. And, um, next one I really wanted to look at was sleep and it's really unfortunate. Like we kind of know we're supposed to get, you know, our seven hours or eight hours or nine hours, whatever it may be. And everyone's different. Everyone's going to say they're fine on less than seven hours, but that's also almost like a story you're telling yourself. Yeah. It's almost like asking <laughs> someone who's like had like four beers. Are they okay to drive? Yeah, I mean, they're exactly probably right. okay, yep. but they're more not than likely optimal. not. And there's obviously going to be these anomalies who are going to function fine on like three to four hours and just be okay. But that's not everyone. Um, I think there was like that really good um, on Joe Rogan mentioned about the, the daylight savings uh, example of um, when people reduce like an hour of sleep. Huge. 24% increase in cardiovascular, uh, sorry, events, so heart attacks. Yeah, that was based off daylight savings. Reduce an hour of sleep, you're more at risk by 24%. 24%, and when they reverse it and you gain the hour back, 21% drop. Yeah. So there's like this perfect inverse, almost perfect inverse relationship. It was like a near, I think it was like 1.8 billion. It was like a near global example or something. It was crazy, and that's just like a great uh, benchmark for, you know, how important sleep is. And, And it's unfortunate. There's no money in sleep, but I think you get like a wicked sleep like how well you feel. And I've just loved literally wearing the, um, the Fitbit Versa 2. This is not an endorsement, but like this thing will literally tell you accurately. I mean, even if it's just a benchmark, it's like, it tells you your REM, your yeah. light, your deep and um, the different stages. We don't have to go into that, but 
um, it's like a, it's really good to hold yourself accountable that you're getting enough sleep. Mm. And then also like... It's if, even quality sleep as it's well. It's even the quality yeah. sleep as well. Anyone I mean, can lay in a bed for eight hours, you know? Yeah. And it's great to have that as just like a reference because that all adds to the picture of like, oh, how much am I moving today? It will tell you your steps. It yeah. will tell you sleep. Yeah. Um, and then that's all helping to keep you accountable as well for, oh, like if I'm putting on weight, it's also like, oh, I didn't really move much when I binged and yeah. did nothing on yeah. Sunday uh, type thing. But yeah, um, sleep's a really big one. Um, no question. I think you know, the first thing that came to my mind was like, yeah, fuck, I suffered a lot. Like I, when I was really, really sick, my body was chronically ill. I was sleeping about two hours of well, in sleep. I was laying in a bed for eight hours, but I was probably getting a nod off very lightly for about two hours. And that lasted about four and a half months. So I was just chronically sleep deprived for yeah, almost five months. And um, it sent me quite nearly insane. I would say to the point of almost total insanity. Uh, and I tried every, you know, pharmaceutical as well as like high dose THC oil, like everything you can imagine and still wasn't getting that sleep. So again, the state of uh, stimulation, uh, dis-ease, uh, just toxic to my body. I'm, again, if you saw the thing that came out of me, it was just disgusting. So uh, I have so much appreciation, was what I was trying to say, for sleep. Back on the thing of, you know, like people pushing through and saying, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I get away for six hours. You know, that may well be true at the time but there's always for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. So you don't know if that's going to catch up with you 20 years later, right? The accumulation of, of losing sleep, it can be something that pays off to you 10 years later. Um, with the quality of sleep, you know, there's so many practical things viewers uh, or listeners can take away. One is obviously digital devices because we're becoming such a modern based um, society and the stimulation there's a couple of studies showing they're mostly actually in children which is probably a good thing um, how it affects their sleep cycles and REM and it's pretty shocking the attention spans go down teachers are then hating at school there's this like carry-on effect so digital devices are a big one and it's enough to say oh yeah I'll get off but actually then following through the biggest thing that stops people from achieving their health is not the knowledge it is not the, the ones and zeros in the binary in their in their brain. Most overweight people, you ask them, how do you lose weight? They'll say, diet and exercise. Well, you know, then why aren't you, st- uh, you know, fit and lean and healthy? Why are you still overweight? And that's no judgment. It's just another example that it's the actioning of things that really change our lives. It sounds so stupid and simple. So actioning, you know, getting one or two hours off and go to it if you have to. I mean, most of us have heard of it, but getting the blue light filters, uh, at least the, the very minimum you can do. But stimulation before sleep is the last thing you want. Um, and even, you know, the devices you're talking about, I almost see that as like a blessing and a curse because you become this like almost robot where you have to start giving your health to this device. You say, oh, because I didn't do this, the machine told me that I was in this. And I, I try to teach people to become more intuitive with their bodies. It's like, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. You can say you got eight hours and it said this and this and this and it might be accurate here and there. But at the end of the day, if you're a lying, you know, we survived for 250,000 years without technology. Yeah. Not to say that we don't need it. Technology is amazing. But I think there's also that fine line between what can help us as devices, what also can be at our detriment and again, giving our power away because we can make these like unhealthy obsessions. So um, other things with sleep, you know, again, there's, there's really some amazing herbs that can put you, you, you with sleep. You never want to knock yourself out. You never want to bomb yourself out. That's why like things like benzos and rest of it and all these like, you know, really, really powerful pharmaceuticals or, or drugs are not that great because you want to get yourself into a state where you want to go to sleep. You want to be in that relaxed, your melatonin production's up, your parasympathetic nervous system's up in regulated. It's the natural state that a body goes, ah, I can shut off now. 
As opposed to catch a mate, you know, and you're out cold. Yeah, because a, a sedative will get you to sleep quickly, but it won't be of quality sleep. Potentially, because, because then, yeah, because if you're still drinking caffeine, perhaps, and then you're taking a pill because your nervous system's still stimulated and you're knocking yourself out, again, you're not addressing the fundamental reason as to why you're getting shit sleeps. Yeah. Um, and there are tools. I'm not saying you know, they're not, not tools you can do. I would say the, the most gentle and best things you could do are things like herbs so things like you know chamomile and dandelion and uh california poppy there's there's a whole heap i'm not an expert of herbs but there's a whole heap of herbs you can have in a tea a uh, nighttime drink and then again zone out get off your digital devices because stimulation is the biggest thing that will keep you up you know yeah. do it for a week like you know prove me wrong do it for a week where you actually get off your technology at say 6 p.m you might go to bed at 9 30 and spend three and a half hours off tech for some people that'll be fucking impossible because they're just they're so addicted to devices but try it, you know, read books, spend time with your partner, go for a walk, play with your dogs, do something. Even just watch a movie, that's probably the least technological thing you could do because at least it's mind-numbing. Uh, but just getting off that alone, man, can pay so many dividends. And for humans to be more foresighted with their health when it comes to sleep is paramount. Because yes, we can get away with one bad night's sleep. And yes, we can probably get away with even a year of six hours. But eventually it will catch up and you don't get those hours back. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, even just when you were mentioning the herbs, I mean, you don't have to be an expert, but you know, something like lavender. Yeah. It's yeah, quite soothing. Yep. It just literally sounds and smells soothing. Yep. Um, St. John's wort. Yeah. You know, that can, that one has to sometimes be a bit, bit, be careful because people make them in crazy doses too. So, and it could have contraindications again. We, when you ever listen to these kinds of things, take full responsibility, do your own research. I encourage you to be a conscious thinker for yourself. I encourage you to be a skeptic. Don't fucking believe a word I say, you know, go out and do your own research because that's what empowers you to make your own choices. Yeah. Um, next one I've got here is sunlight. Yeah. Another big one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, just last on the sleep. I would also say just to cap off that is naps. They are so underrated, but, and so underused, you know, that this, the Europeans basically do it. That siesta, you know, they've got it down pack, you know, between 12 PM and 2 PM when the sun's the highest get down even if it's not sleep and just rest you'll feel so much better because if you're a parent that has to pick up kids from school if you're a father and a, or a businessman that works late to night you want that energy and you do not want to be again smashing your central nervous system liver and adrenals with caffeine or some other means to keep you awake so yeah that's what add. i was gonna say so powerful. on on that one like even if you think you don't uh, i'm not too sure where i read it but i think you might be able to help me out you do naturally have a lull in the yes. day you yes. naturally will have a little, does dip. correct um yeah. whether it's around that one to three ish 12 to two yes um most people would just smash the coffee and just go through it correct. but yeah um yeah don't underestimate the power of a nap absolutely sunlight well we're talking about it you know as sunlight hits our eyes that by well, that morning sun up until about the 12 o'clock is hitting uh, our body not only just on the kind of skin level and absorbing for vitamin d and stuff like that but uh, and there's a ton of immunological effects but also the melatonin production that when sunlight like the, the the actual photons from the sun are hitting your eye goes through obviously this conduit of, of network and hits the brain your pineal glands releasing melatonin which is one of your sleep so you're doing like five or six hours of sun you're going to get a natural increase in melatonin for some people, it's very subtle, so subtle, plus modern lifestyles, they don't take it. But if you do take it in that 12 to 2, you will reap the benefits hard. Again, such a simple and free tactic. Start napping for a week, uh, even two weeks at between 12 and 2 p.m., whatever suits your lifestyle, and notice the difference. It's huge. Um, sunlight's a big one for the, those exact reasons. We're not, you know, we're, we're diurnal creatures. We're not nocturnal. So most people are staying late up at night and getting no sun and also indoors all day so they have this massive blue light as opposed to this like more yellow and some sunlight is blue light especially during the day but it's more incandescent and this orange light and the way that naturally the sun gives us so many beneficial effects uh, people are just missing out and it's sending them crazy 
Um, we know uh, suicides go up in in climates that receive very little sun. They're higher, and depression is also higher. And uh, gets this also the countries that receive the most sunlight. So like the really northern ones, things like um, uh, Greenland. <laughs> Suicide and depression is actually bigger when the sun's out the most. So it's too much of a good thing. Again, everything in balance, right? Mm. So I don't know, that was a little bit of a fun fact and a bit crazy. When I read the study, I was like, holy shit, you know, depression and, and suicide is actually higher when the sun's, you know, they get like 22 hours of sunlight. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, but most people in modern lifestyle that are either at the equator or north and south, you know, some, some degree are just not getting enough for the most part. You know, human beings sh- should have a healthy tan relative to where they live. Naturally, when you're the, the further south or the further north you go, that changes. This is just your body's adaptive nature to bring in sunlight. But in terms of, you know, vitamin D synthesis, a lot of people are vitamin D deficient. I forget the stat, but, you know, most Australians, America's shocking. Um, Europe's generally okay because it's, you know, it's Europe. Um, but a lot of major continents in the world are vitamin D deficient. And again, vitamin D, I think, controls something like 500 physiological, uh, uh, has like 500 physiological responsibilities. You know, bone strength, uh, bone mineral density, uh, cholesterol synthesis, that it's all impacted by vitamin D, which we should be naturally getting from sunlight. And again, people are just kind of bypassing that by sitting at a computer, going a blood test and going, I'm vitamin D deficient. And then they take 5,000 IU of vitamin D. Is that better than nothing? Probably. But if that catches up with you in 20, 30 years, don't have a bitch because we probably just don't even have enough data to show the effects of what it's like to not get enough sun, you know? Yeah, definitely agree. And I think a really good one to take away from that is um, sort of mimicking the light during the day within your house as well. Yeah. So if you're, um, you know, the sun's going down around six, maybe just try and like as uncool it is, is maybe wear the blue light blocking glasses and switch the screens to blue light. Switch blocking. your light globes. There's the way too many globes as well. light, light globes. Yeah. yeah um, Get really strong yellow ones or really soft yellow glows. Yeah. And I mean, it goes without saying, if you just stare at your screen, that's like super bright. <laughs> like you turn the brightness up Down, and just look yeah, at it. It just, yeah. it just looks ridiculous. You can actually even play with this. Look, feel, feel, you know, cause people actually, some people don't realize your muscles in your eye are what actually give it the movement. Like to move our eyes requires muscular contractions. And the relative to how much light's coming in is relative to also how they focus too. So when you're looking at screens, you know, I challenge you to do this. You can do the blue light filter on and off and see the difference from full blue light to full incandescent as well as the brightness. And you can feel the strain on your eyes. Now imagine three hours of holding a dumbbell in your hand with your arm at 90 degrees, like relative to your body. Uh, and imagine just holding that one kilo dumbbell there like for three hours. It is just the strain on your shoulder muscles and traps and neck would be horrendous. So the same thing's happening to our eyes and we wonder why we have an eyeglass epidemic. Like <laughs> it's just people are not fixing fundamental reasons and we're getting lazy society. And look, if that's what you want to do, I have no problem. I have no stake in this. I'm not here to be like, you know, one of those militant atheists or militant vegans to shove it down your throat. I just care for people's health because the reality is, is that we're not educating people the way that we should be educating people and fixing fundamental principles of health. So, you know, sunlight's such an easy one. Set alarms on your phone. We, we, this is where we can use technology to our advantage. Set a, an alarm on your phone at 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 p.m. Just go get five or 10 minutes, do some deep breathing. And that alone, one, it's free. Two, it takes fuck all time. And three, the, the benefit to uh, cost ratio is priceless. S- smoker can be sun time. Smoker can be sun time. <laughs> um, next one I've got here is nutrition. We don't have to go like crazy. Yeah, no, because this is like, you know, nutrition is like religion these days too, right? And you see that in so many corners of, you know, the two sides of vegan carnivore. You see it with just people that, you know, have it in their bio. I'm a keto this and I'm a fruitarian this. I'm a breatharian. Yeah, mixed, diet, mixed, <laughs> diet, mixed diet, mixed diet, <laughs> And then, of course, you have the people that just say, you know, have a sustained diet. But, you know, no one would – people that have had a sustainable diet or what they would call sustainable got sick 
and then had to change their diet to get and their lifestyle not going to be reductionist here but change their lifestyle would then say a sustainable diet only works until it doesn't work anymore right so we're, right. that's a very black and white you know hand in glove blanket statement the reality is is that yes you should eat for you yes you should eat in season because someone in alaska cannot eat the same way as someone in indonesia it's just impossible right so yes to the people that are quite militant say we all need to eat this way when that's just in a crock of shit the reality is at the most simplistic level especially on a podcast and especially for the viewer is calories are king we know that and calorie the, the the set point of your calories can be affected by many things you know the, the thermic effect of food, non-exercise, activity thermogenesis. There's lots of things if you want to look into the calories in, calories out and why that gets affected. But that is the king because you can have the best vegan diet. But guess what? If you're eating a kilo of cashews a day and pushing cows to 4,500 at a surplus, you're going to get overweight and that can cause dis-ease in whatever way. Uh, equally so, you could actually improve blood pressure. And you know, there was a couple of professors that did a study on themselves, I think it was. Actually, no, there was one in particular – I'm probably going to butcher this, but basically he lived on Twinkies for like 30 days and like sugar and white flour and rice and stuff like that. Ate just dog shit. His cholesterol improved, his blood pressure improved. He lost like eight kilos in 30 days. So it just goes to show you that, you know, you could eat the worst diet, but if you really control your calories for the people that are obviously like out of that balance and maybe not where they want to be, you know, I actually, this is where I'm going to plug Lane because, you know, Lane is a brilliant scientist. Fat Loss Forever just explains the actual science of that in such an in-depth but yet also simplistic way. And when it comes to nutrition, you have to be responsible with homeostasis. Homeostasis of nutrition is energy in, energy out. And if you abuse energy in, you will see the effects of what happens to the human body. Uh, and equally, if you abuse energy out, these people that are on like 600 cows and doing two hours of cardio a day and wondering why they can't lose weight well, because your body you know, changes the set point and your 600 calories is actually probably maintenance if not maybe a surplus yeah, your, your thyroid's so low you blink slower you talk slower you run slower you don't fuck you hit your sex is, uh, drive is down so people think why, why am i losing weight i'm only doing a thousand calories and i'm doing two hours of cardio and all this thing why am i losing weight well because you know you, you're abusing calories in calories out yeah using your set point i was going to say the um the vegan topic is is a hot one and we we're not going to go sure into it because it it's not a vegan <laughs> media podcast. but um a really big thing i've got just from like doing my own um research of what's out there is that um, a lot of vegans would have health-seeking behaviors yes. that they are generally lower risk-taking. They are... Healthy user bias, they call yeah, it. Yeah, they want to just basically self-improve as sure. an average more mm -hmm. than the meat eaters and omnivores, et cetera, because there's also going to be like taking more risks and eating McDonald's and KFC. calories are generally higher. I think they did a study and, and there was like 600 calories higher in on average in that's, heavy meat eaters. That's right? it. There's going to be maybe slightly lower protein in your average vegan that they would consume. Yep. But I think a lot of what this comes down to, and I stress it and you've said it as well, is that calories are king. Yeah. If you are literally overeating, you're literally increasing your risk of literally everything Pretty much every disease literally everything yeah. a three-year yeah. sports science degree there you go boom <laughs> you just literally you overeat you under exercise you get fat you increase your risk yeah. of everything so just i mean i had a guy that basically went plant-based and he gained weight this is not a client or anything like obviously that would have been control but mm. he just told me he's like man i gained two i was like what are you eating and he ended up eating something like something ridiculous it was like 400 grams of cashews a day and there's all these fats and it was just mm. his way of justifying a plant-based diet but it just again goes to show he was getting unhealthy eating a vegan diet so and you know a vegan also people tend to say whole food plant-based because a vegan diet i mean skittles and coca-cola is vegan right so again context to everything i think the biggest thing with nutrition again the kind of the takeaway i would, would give to people is one be honest with yourself 
what's most sustainable and in reality are you at a point where you can relax a little bit or is there actually more work where you should probably actually discipline yourself to be a little bit more of a quote-unquote clean food eater i hate that's a very nebulous term but i'll use it for now um and really take care of your diet and and kind of push the other side of the seesaw where you're in a deficit, you're moving more, you're doing this right thing. So then you can come and eventually balance out where you might want two wines a week and you might want a burger and fries with the boys. Because at the end of the day, again, no one's going to live forever. You have to do you and enjoy you and not let anyone really else uh, uh, shove anything down your throat. But again, my thing's in human health. So I deal with very sick people and it isn't interesting that the people that are quote unquote healthy you know, going about macros and sustainable dieting, but when they get sick, they have to change things. So this is almost like a, a like you do too many burnouts in your car, then you got to take it to the mechanics, right? It's like, well, you might do one burnout and that doesn't really affect the car, but if you keep doing burnouts every single day, eventually something's going to happen. So it could just be that one food group. It could just be that that ingredient in that processed food that's just a straw on a camel's back. I'm being very, very vague here, but the point I'm trying of to make course. is, yeah, the point I'm trying to make is that I think for most people, if again, if they just did an intellectual audit, did make their diet more plant heavy. I mean, that's just, that's almost irrefutable. People will try to irrefute it, but again, I couldn't care less. Um, the things that I've seen anecdotally and being in the trenches, I'm not someone that's just an armchair researcher that just reads studies that could mean anything, could be funded by anything, could have special interests. I'm actually in the trenches and I see it and I talk to the people that are the best in the field of what they do. And I've seen stage four cancers reversed, type one diabetes reversed, arthritis reversed. In fact, some arthritis, in fact, I've seen most, a lot of these personal anecdotes were harder than some of the like, cardiovascular the cancers some cancers are actually very easy to clean up um but the reality is you can use nutritionally nutrition incredibly well when it comes to sickness if you're otherwise healthy do you do what's sustainable do what's fun you know do what's least environmentally impacting i think that's pretty important now as this population's exploding and just be a more conscious consumer of food how many times have you finished a meal and gone, oh, fuck, I remember the last bite. Like, that went quick. We're just so asleep sometimes. So being a conscious eater, maybe just doing a couple of deep breaths or be giving thanks to your food, whatever you know you want to do, and really uh, appreciating food for what it is. Yeah, and it's also it. really important to note that with the um, looking at the science and the research of, like, who's funding it, the biases, how the study was done, the variables, yeah, on both what was controlled. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time to do really comprehensive studies, it takes a lot of money and it does require funding and it's also just important just to make note of that because if you're pushing an agenda which generally what science is doing most of the time it's an argumentative essay people Um, can say there's no agenda that doesn't mean there's no agenda (laughs) exactly says something you know exactly and it's just fifty thousand dollars in the bank but do i really (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's just important to be accountable and just also have a look and think for yourself just consciously think for yourself so um Again, yeah. I think we're getting, we're getting too intellectualized and too complex with the brain and the mind and intellectualism, and we're just not coming back to simplicity. I'm a simple guy. I love the complexity. Like I could probably name every intermediate of glycolysis and go down to the, you know, the real deep levels of biology, but that's not where you find health. Maybe in very rare cases where there's maybe genetic polymorphisms and there's all these specific things you might have to do. That's not most people. Correct. Even Rhonda Patrick, I think she said something. It was like the statistics, they pulled out all the data as much as they possibly could. And it was something like 92 or 93% of all cardiovascular disease and dis-ease is reversible through lifestyle and nutrition. Yeah. And then at the end of that, you have severe genetic weaknesses. And even that could be wrong. You have then probably people that need to do other things like stress, like all these other techniques to get their health back in order. But to hear that, when we have a cardiovascular, like the prenatal number one, I think it's yeah, it is head of cancer, I'm pretty sure. Um, it just again it goes to show you how we're educating people who's really in control this is not a conspiracy theory we have a planet where we 
We know how to be healthy. So why aren't we healthy? Why are sick people the anomaly of this earth? You know, we know mm. that most of the world is owned by very little. Most of the wealth, and it's something like 50%, I don't know if this is a real, not, I'd be butchering this, but 50% of the world is owned by like 1% of the, the world's no, population. Yeah, you'd be probably right. Yeah. And that most people live on less than about three or four dollars a day. So, yeah. you know, this, this insane, I'm not like, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, a purist or some like person that wants utopia. That's, that's just not reality. There's probably an in-between line between someone's utopia and Armageddon, right? There's probably this some middle line where wealth can be shared. Uh, greed is superseded by love, compassion, and this proliferation of the species. So we can start to do greater things like, oh, wow, maybe we can maybe explore the solar system and then maybe another galaxy and like see where this whole like life thing's going. We're going on a bit of a tangent with nutrition, but that's all right. <laughs> it, um, it does all kind of link in. It is all encompassing the same thing, right? Uh, next one I've got here is detoxing. Detoxification. Yeah. So this is obviously one that I'm um, um, really, really in the trenches with. Um, uh, bottles are dropping. One, because it's so tarnished in, like most things, you know, there's marketing and there's the sex cells, there's the skinny seven-day lemon juice fast crap mm. that, you know, and I'm not saying seven days of juicing is not a bad thing. And just, again, it's relative. People come out and say fasting cures cancer. And look, fasting can be a tool to reverse limb cancers. It can be. Even um, uh, Dr. Goldman has a PubMed study that he showed, 21-day water fast, stage three lymphoma, gone, obliterated. Uh, three months, six month checkup, completely still gone, no cancer markers. So yes, fasting can be a tool to uh, help improve the immune system, to help uh, eliminate in the lymphatic system and to promote higher levels of detoxification. Um, by next year, I'll be a level two detoxification specialist um, to finish off my training actually in America. And the reason I'm so heavily vested is because when you uh, follow true detoxification, which is a slow process, and it's very similar to the gym, the, the, the you know the pindic guy at 14 that wants to be jacked in three weeks and takes trend is like how detoxification is promoted at the moment right it's just complete stupidity and mostly ignorance too detoxification is a slow steady process just like building muscle is you have to be patient it's not always easy it's not linear as in to say just like fat loss you know and lane again a big proponent of this so it almost fits the exact model you get a result you then tend to plateau so you need to kind of pull back before you then go deeper or change and things up because you just can't just keep detoxing detoxing i've seen people and myself included just go too hardcore and there's a blowback for that because you need to have the uh the fundamental strength in terms of endocrine glands and systems and kidney filtration and liver to support levels of detoxification so you couldn't just put like again a very sick stage four cancer unless they're like you know you had no leverage some weak old lady on like some intense detoxification program because she's probably just one going to quit can't handle it and two it might actually be too much for her it's like if you can only bench 60 kilos you're not going to go and bench 80 it's just too much for what you have to build to 80 yeah so the big takeaway is that what we're being sold is not true detoxification. No. What we're being sold is not because... It's just sex and marketing. It, like like most things. Yeah. Like Instagram. Yeah. yeah. I think another big misconception is that the liver is the detoxifying organ. Nothing could be further from the truth. The liver is more or less like a filter and a transmutation organ to take things from like fat solutes to water solubles. The real puppies of detoxification are your kidneys. Um, and they're only relative to how well your endocrine glands are working. And namely, that's your uh, adrenal glands. Because again, if you're stressed out, that's that set of constriction. So the easiest way for people to think about this in terms of elimination, because we eliminate every day, is if you had a backyard garden hose and you started to like kink it slowly, like not instantly, but slowly, you start to increase the pressure in there because the obstruction is occurring. 
So similarly with detoxification, when you see like obstruction over time, it's because you're seeing the obstruction of uh, flow of energy, flow of both nutrition and waste. Um, and the biggest role that the body has in elimination is by peeing. Mm. Uh, probably no question. And the kidneys are taken absolute be- uh, beating. And I read a study on the ABS recently when I did that talk actually um, at QG, but um, kidney disease, I th- oh, I'm going to butcher this, man. It's like kidney disease is like the most... Uh, the highest ranking thing that is seen on say like emergency visits is something to do with renal failure. There's something like that. I probably butchered it, but there is a serious kidney problem going on and people's kidneys are breaking down and we're seeing, you know, dialysis is just off the charts at the moment. Kidney disease and renal failure is just incredibly uh, high. And uh, yes, our lifestyles, our diets, our lack of sleep, all these things are pertaining to it. So detoxification, just kind of circling back on this, it's a slow process. If you're going to like start going in the process of detoxification and if you think like, you know, it resonates with you and you think you should do it, uh, do as much research as you can. I obviously can't spill every single thing about detoxification on a podcast, yep. uh, but do know it is a slow process. It should be one that you can sustain. There are periods where you can push harder, just like in the gym, you can do heavier and more advanced workouts, but you can't sustain that. Yep. Um, the number one food group that I see, this is not scientific, but I, you know, through my work over the next five, 10 years, I want to hopefully see some of this published because it's not for me and my ego It's so people can go, Oh, that's actually a scientific fact. And we can actually now confirm that and use this method, um, is the number one food group that helps, um, uh, detoxification is fruit. It is a food group that contains mostly monosaccharides. So the easily digestible form of carbohydrates. So again, this idea of like the easiest way of gaining gaining <laughs> gaining energy without the stress of digestion. Like the most thermic uh, required food for energy in terms of macronutrients is protein. There's like nearly a thirty percent uh, thermic effect of food. It's just such a hard food group to um, break down. And again, that's a very reductionist viewpoint. I just want to make a point. The number one food group that I see with the most success is fruit. The abundant in electrolytes to help hydration. You know, it's a big thing with people being dehydrated systemically. Uh, you know, they are high in um, uh, antioxidants. Their antioxidant capacity is huge. They're fibrous. They're easily sugars for digestible energy. Um, enzymes, the lot. It's like the food group that's basically the easiest to digest, helps your body hydrate, which can promote detoxification of your lymphatic system. This is not about, again, because so many people have been sort of this like, oh, I've got to detox your liver. I've got to, oh, my liver detoxes me. It's not about that this is systemic. We're talking about the entire body head to toe. If you look at the two sides of life again with this whole duality thing, like I was mentioning, your body can go into a different culturing medium. And when I see sick people, they are dehydrated, stiff, and full of pain. That's an acid dehydrated body. This is not about blood. This whole I looked over the acid ash hypothesis and there's just so many flaws in that. There are things that are like perhaps somewhat good there and some things that they do note, but there are so many fundamental things they miss. One is because they're, again, primarily focusing on the venous system. Wrong system. It's not the system of debris. It's not the system of waste. You can't make blood acidic. You will kill yourself. Blood has to remain... Again, it's a system of continuity. So the reason I'm bringing up, this up is because it has very much merit to do with fruit and detoxification. Blood pH cannot be changed. We have buffering systems to keep that 7.35 to 7.4, give or take. You change that acid medium, that that pH medium to more acid or base, you can do it very loosely, acutely, but you do it long-term, you're going to be dead. And that's both ways. People, you can't like alkalize your blood too much, you're going to die. Acidify your blood, you're dead. We have three major buffering. No one's dying of alkalosis. No one's, it's very rare that you have like bicarbonate problems and alkal, um, uh, 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 metabolic alkalosis. It's very, very rare. Most people that I see are suffering from metabolic acidosis. That means, yes, your blood is in continuity with this 7.35, but you are trashing your buffering systems. 
you have three major buffering systems. And this is the most simplistic way I can explain it. You have the calcium buffering system, you have the cholesterol buffering system, and the edema buffering system. So this is when we, why we see cholesterol being raised because this this idea that fats lipids can in-house acids this phospholipid membrane can in-house habits acids and they sit in the interstitium they don't sit in the bloodstream they sit in the interstitial space which is just basically a space between all of your cells we have trillions and trillions of cells and none of them touch the space between that is called the interstitium and you have the interstitial spaces that Debris gets trapped. That's why when I detoxify people, you see mucus out of their nose, out of their arsehole, and then urine. Like it, it's gnarly stuff. You have the calcium buffering system. So when you have a strong calcium buffering system, you're going to have a great bladder control. You're going to have strong nails, strong teeth, strong bones, no scoliosis, straight spine, all these things. When you start to rub electrolytes and namely calcium from your from your tissues, and this is again, it was supposedly debunked, and I call bullshit. It's not what I see in, in the trenches. Is you'll see weak bladder. You see parathyroid problems, depression. You'll see weak nails, weak bladder. You'll see herniations, prolapsed organs, petechiae. You'll see uh, varicose veins, spider veins, because you're seeing the loss of structural strength in the human body, in the tissues. You're seeing the loss of calcium and you're rubbing your electrolytes because it's trying to neutralize acidosis. Calcium is the biggest alkaline, the most abundant alkaline in the human body. Again, that's a very simplistic explanation. The last is your edemic. Uh, 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 buffering system and this is the most easily explained because this is why you see lymphedema and notice you know it's right in front of your face it's lymph it's called lymphedema for a reason because it's in the lymph system but if you have let's just say like 100 mils of water and 200 mils of water well if you put 50 mils of acid in 100 mils of water it's like a two to one ratio right if you put 50 mils of acid in 200 mils of water it's a four to one ratio it's diluted so that's why my people's kidneys shut down or they become overly acidified their calcium or their cholesterol is low they will swell and again i've suffered from this and you'll see it in a lot of people they will see massive swelling and that's just again to keep the whole idea is to keep homeostasis in the body homeostasis rules and when you're out of homeostasis your body will do anything it can to to keep you alive to keep that those buffering systems back in place and it is very very rarely you have like say a pituitary problem or a pancreatic problem and and therefore a bicarbonate problem where you might go it's overproducing you or whatever might happen to, to go into metabolic alkalosis that's not a modern day problem the majority of what i see is people being burnt alive in their tissues and the only reason people aren't seeing it because they go my bloods are fine. My bloods are fine. I'm like, yeah, your blood has to stay fine or you'll fucking drop dead. Yeah. And it's when you're actually seeing, say, iron deficiency or uh, hypermagnesium or you're seeing something in the blood, you, you have serious problems then, absolute serious problems. But also too with blood tests, just a bit of a sidetrack, when you get that blood test, that's only the snapshot of your blood at that moment. If you have a heavy heme iron rich meal, and get a blood test within 30 minutes, your serum iron will be elevated quite high. So it's remember, it's only a snapshot of your blood at that time. That's why systemic health and looking at the overall picture of your life is so much more important. Circumventing this back to detoxification, that's why the focus is the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system is your major immune system. It's the, it's the system of defense. And I like to think of people's immune systems or explain it to like, like a Roman empire. You would never want to protect your Roman empire, which is your body, with you know 10 soldiers wearing shorts and with wooden sticks right you'd want twenty thousand guys out there with jacked with mithril armor two meter long swords and you know iron shields you want protection you want immunity because we're constantly coming into contact we're breathing bacteria right now you and i everyone's always at risk of, of getting infected or breathing in pathogens or eating food that's in, you know, uh, uh, compromised, whatever it might be. We're constantly stressing these machines and it's our immunity 
namely our lymphatic system and the way our white blood cells and lymphocytes and all these things work to keep us protected from damage. And when those buffering systems are trashed, you're going to see the spillover. You're going to see dis-ease and a symptom will appear. So the reason why detoxification is always your golden key because it always addresses the one system in your body that pretty much protects every other system in your body. It's not like you go after your reproductive system when you have a cold. It's just, that just makes no sense. Mm. You go after your immune system and your lymphatic system because that is the major immune system. So I wanted to kind of go into a bit of spiel there because that's why for me and what I see and what I work with every single day is so important. And I have reversed. Well, not, I don't want to take the reins for it. I help people realize that you can reverse chronic disease. It's a mental thing. You have to get out of the victim you know, archetype, this victim mentality. You have to take responsibility. It's ownership. You have to change your whole fucking lifestyle. But it's usually a short-term protocol to get you back into health, back into homeostasis. And then I go, you know what? Go back to whatever diet you want. Go back to whatever lifestyle you want. Just know this can happen again. You're not cured. We just reverse the dis-ease, the, the dysbiosis of your body. We got you back into balance. You're now healthier. You can choose whatever health. Some people want to go further. They want to get like amazing health, optimal thriving. I remember I was at one point, I'm bragging on a little bit here, but lastly, I was at one point where I was doing deep detoxification and this is very actually close out of surgery. And I actually had so much energy. I didn't enjoy it. Like imagine that a modern day problem. I had so much energy. I didn't enjoy it because uh, people were just, it's like, it's like I was taking on too much. It wasn't to the point I was getting tired. I was just taking on so much. I was so stimulated. I had so much energy. I just didn't like it. So I ended up just introducing more foods and chilling out and, and actually grounding myself. So it's a very powerful tool when used correctly. It's a dangerous tool that can be fuck people up. I've seen it. Um, and I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm not like the, the number one kingpin. Um, I'm still learning, but from what I've seen, it is absolutely the golden key to human health in this modern lifestyle. Yeah. And I was just going to say, like, I don't want to talk too much more about that, but that was great though. <laughs> yeah, I know I did rag on a little bit no, there. It was just um, something close to home. I think the um, the lymphatic system definitely gets overlooked. 100%. I think it just gets like very, very neglected yeah. and it does one hell of a role in the body. Absolutely. And like you said, the bloods is just a snapshot of yep. like what is happening at that present moment. Yeah. Not the whole picture. And Like I think how many lymphatic tests have you got in your life? None. How many blood tests have you got? No, I'll probably like six, seven. Yeah. 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 And yeah, yeah, like that. I think that's pretty common amongst a lot of people. Yeah, like most people. It's, yeah, you might get a health check maybe once a year. Maybe mm. get a blood check once a year if you want to see what's happening in your body. And if yeah. there's anything of concern, no, you're all good, which is usually what you'll get if you're a normal functioning person who somewhat looks after themselves. Yeah. Uh, and then off on your bike sort of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, we've got two more left. Uh, cold therapy. Um you got me onto this. I hate the cold. I like who, does, who likes it. Yeah, I know. It, I, I think it's become a love hate thing. But um, yeah, when I was in Bali, I think I was doing. I was there for a week. There was a the ice bath was about two degrees. I started on about thirty seconds on the first day, and by the time I left there, I got up to about two minutes thirty. Yep. Doing a bit of uh, Wim Hof breath work uh, in and out, and. Just maybe just list off some of the benefits because it's it's very uncomfortable. But uh, a lot of people hear about this doing this cold shower and this ice bath thing, and they're like, "What what's it all about?" Yeah. But um, yeah, just maybe riddle off some some benefits and why it should be done. Yeah, I think the first thing to touch on is um, two things. One is that we're becoming a society that is so acclimatized to homeostasis in the wrong way. So like, it's too hot, aircon. It's too cold, heater. Like we're always trying to find that set point, and that's not a bad thing in one sense for comfort. But if we're constantly narrowing our stress response to heat and cold, we become weaker as, as 
organisms. So that would be the first thing I'd say. Let's just maybe like divorce the idea that we always need to be comfortable because life isn't always comfortable and it's not about stopping the ocean waves. It's really learning how to surf and surf well. That would be the first thing. I'd say the second thing is, is I also like to touch on heat therapy because it's just the, the duality side to cold therapy, right? Um, oh, what was I going to go with? I just lost it. Well, I know with heat therapy, it's um, a really common one is creating like a, an artificial fever. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. There's, um, there's a whole, look, I'll, I'll, I lost it before, but I'm sure it'll come back. With heat therapy, I really love heat therapy because, um, and this is also relative to where you live, but heat therapy seems to have um, such a mood augmenting um, effect. So like, you know, you can come out and you're, you're feeling, you sometimes feel like a bit of batshit because, you know, during you're releasing dynorphin, this, this, this hormone that just makes you a little bit sick and, and rubbish. But when you get out, you get the flip side to that, which is endorphins. And I'm sure you get like op- your own opioids that come out and these painkillers. And there's probably these massive, I haven't read all the data, but you just physiologically on anecdotal and, and being in the trenches, you just have such mood augmenting capacity from sauna. And most things that then stress you out, stop stressing you out. Um, whether that's, you know, anything from traffic on the road to kids to your job, you seem to be able to cope better. And that is the whole premise of cold and hot therapy. When people have an aversion, that's what I was going to say, when people have an aversion to getting uncomfortable, I always ask them, you already probably do things that are uncomfortable that you do and you don't look at the uncomfortable thing because you realize the benefit. So for instance, you don't go to the gym and look at weights. You have to go in and burn and push and push heavy shit and create damage why? Because you know you and I and many people that are listening to this go to the gym because they see the benefit. So if you've never done something before, and I think ABS release, it's like 11% of Australians actually only have memberships. We, you and I might think it's a common thing, but very few people do. But for the people that do, they go to the gym to do something uncomfortable to get a result. It could be you study long hours because you like the result of being knowledgeable. We always tend to do something uncomfortable once we know there's a reward, a return on investment. So initially no one's going to get into cold water and go i fucking love this and you will get acute um benefits coming out of that first one but it's like anything in the universe you have to stick at it and the more you stick at it the more benefit you get i don't think i've been stressed or triggered for probably two and a half years now and i can like, confidently say that and i work long hours i have a partner not that she's stressful but i do lots of things i live a, it's not like i sit on a beach all day right i have a very very active life and my stress levels are almost non-existent. They're exactly where they need to be to get me going because, you know, zero stress is a terrible thing too. Again, the balance. But cold therapy apart, you know, I, moving off the sauna in terms of mood mood um, benefits, I would say cold therapy on the other side has such immune modulating effects. Um, I have, again, I haven't read all the data because I just know it fucking works and it's amazing. Just get in and do it. Um, but from some of the things, you know, just from conditioning the autonomic nervous system. So again, this idea that like everyone has a capacity before the stress is perceived as actually life-threatening. So everything prior to that is kind of like you stress, it's beneficial, it gets us going, it gets us... Uh, go, uh. After that, you hit a certain point and it becomes a distress and it's like, I'm going to die. And that's what you're replicating in cold therapy. But the the thing sometimes people do, again, like everything, they go too hard too soon. So they get into cold therapy and they're... <laughs> and that's not where you want to be because you're not training the brain to go, I'm safe in this uncomfortable temperature yeah you explained um when i asked you about it and you got me into it was um pain's just a concept right right so it, you're not gonna die <laughs> no i mean it might be very uncomfortable unless you stay in it for maybe three hours and yeah <laughs> yeah sure but i'm sure someone will fish you out but absolutely it, it, it is yeah like you said acclimatizing yourself to the discomfort of modern day can be very uncomfortable and yeah. if you 
um, condition yourself to incremental uncomfortablenesses in the situation of a ice bath. Um, yeah, it can have very good layover Massive effects. endless payoffs because the transfer is so huge. And, you know, if, co- if you've already stopped listening, start at a cold shower at the end of your hot shower. Like I did the Wim Hof program uh, years ago and that was probably one of the best programs I ever did. Uh, but I started with cold showers. I'd never even heard of an ice bath. You know, obviously I jumped in cold water at the, maybe the beach, but I'd never heard of this concept of doing ice baths or cold therapy. So I started the program, yeah, doing like a 10 second cold shower because it was the middle of winter. It was fucking cold. And I just worked from that. So it was like a 10 minute, a 10 second cold shower to eventually like a three minute cold shower. Then I did my first ice bath with like two bags of ice. And it was like four bags of ice. And it was eventually like 10 bags of ice, right? And then getting to Bali and doing that one degrees, which is the coldest I've done in just over 10 minutes. So it is a stage, it is a process, but the, the biggest benefit is the carryover to everything else. You will just notice you focus better, less things stress you, you're more, you're able to communicate better. Uh, your partner that might say that certain thing that pisses you off no longer pisses you off. You can handle your boss, you can handle people cutting off in traffic. It's not just about jumping in cold water. It's about not only the health benefits, but the practical things that you then go, wow, that normally would have pissed me off. Or I normally would get sick in this period and now I'm not. And if you do the most simplistic way is again, imagining like a bar, like a horizontal bar, people can imagine this. And again, the middle point being like our homeostasis, heat on one side, cold on the other side. Again, as you augment that capacity further and further away from the midpoint, you are augmenting your capacity for stress. And when you augment your capacity for stress, the payoff to everything else in life is enormous. I can't recommend it enough, but yes, it will suck at first. (laughs) Great. And lastly, meditation. Don't do it. It's a lie. <laughs> it's a scam. It's, it's a, a cult. scam. Um, so I think the, the most common misconception is that meditation is this like thing where you have to, you know, put your index finger to your thumb and be in the lotus position and hum. It's absolutely not. The first basis of meditation is just noticing what's going on in and outside of your body. So the first thing might be like deep breath and like, whoa, my neck is really tight. And most people are like, most people, again, the ego, or the mental construct goes, oh, fuck, I'm not meditating because my neck's too much, right? There'll be that voice. Mm. All you're doing is noticing you're becoming the witness to your life, not actually being in your life. So it's like Shivan stops become Shivan and you can start imagining what it's like to be someone looking at Shivan. So the first thing to do is like an internal check. You know, you can start with meditation and deep breathing and going, you know, this is my breath. And you can start focusing your breath. And all you're really doing is slowing down the mind. And becoming an observer of the mind. And if you do that long enough, you stop the concept of being what you think is yourself, which is most people think it's the mind. Meditation is actually your natural state. It's not like it's a place to get to. It's actually your natural state. We're just in the world, in human bodies, living these lives, always stimulated, always working, always doing. And now we've got that out of balance. Meditation is a way of being becoming back to a human being not a human doing we're doing way too much of the doing and meditation is a beautiful way to be whoa my mind really is really racy and again like anything you have to start it suck at it and commit to it if you want to get any kind of benefit we have beautiful again technology beautiful technology to guided apps i would highly recommend probably calm it's probably the i would say the highest rated app and the most beneficial and the most um uh what's the words the, the most like variable type of, of meditation app um and just learning how to get out of your mind there's again way too much intellectualism way too much thinking and thought processes and way too much operating from the mind and our mental constructs get spend a day trying to get out of your mind it's a very liberating feeling Um, when when i get people out of breathwork sessions or meditation sessions and they go i wasn't here i was somewhere else and the look on their faces of just like they lose three years off their face and they just look bliss and again it's like that is your natural state 
we've just come into these bodies. So I would highly recommend it to anyone. The easiest way to start, if you're that person that says, I can't be fuck starting, is download an app on your phone. Use technology to your advantage. Once you can do that, I would say do a mindfulness practice where you can just go throughout the day and start noticing things. So start instead of being in your body, doing the things, start to notice things. Oh, that happened. That happened. It's like when you go on a holiday, right? Most people are not in their heads when they're in a holiday. They go to a new destination because they're so awe-inspired by observing. And that's what mindfulness is. It's a state of observation. So everyone can pretty much relate to that first time you step off in Europe or something grand in America or maybe an exotic island. And you're like, whoa. And kids are always in awe. They're always, because it's like a fucking playground, the Earth's playground. We just become these adults and we start adulting and we go, oh, it's just this, it's just that. And then we just have these, you know, mental constructs. So that would be my recommendation. Start with an app if you're someone that really struggles. Otherwise, spend some time in mindfulness and observe and get back to that state of awe where everything, don't label it, don't put a story on it. It sounds a bit weird of a podcast, but when you start practicing it, like anything, you get better and it pays dividends. Again, the dividends are... You're less stressed. You're more in control of your thought. Everyone's got anxiety apparently these days. You know, a lot of people have depressive symptoms. People are overwhelmed. They're uptight. They're they're feeling frazzled. So it's like you can do most of these things we've mentioned are free. And yet we spend thousands on drugs, surgeries, supplements, crazy fads. And it's like the most simplistic. It's like the mind literally loves complexity, which it does. It's like a pretty much known fact. Simplicity is where you're going to find most of your answers. So... I don't have much meditation because it's such a broad topic. You know, most people even hate the word meditation. And I, and I, compl- I hated it. For anyone listening, I hated meditation when I first started. But the moment you get, you get that benefit, the moment I was like, whoa, I'm out of my mind. What was that? That was incredible. I feel great. I hold days now affected in this beautiful way. I see the benefit. Yeah, okay. I'll spend 20 minutes in the morning doing it. So yeah, and it doesn't even have to be twenty minutes. It could, could be five. five. Exactly. Yeah. It's um yeah. It's one of those like words that are still a bit like <laughs> woo woo and a bit bit crazy. And yeah, um, we did speak about it in podcast one with James with how he used it with his um comp prep and whatnot. But yeah. yeah, um, there's definitely a lot to take away from meditation. But I think the big thing to take away is start small incrementally and then work your way up and see there's so many different types there's obviously you said about the app there's a lot of types of meditations that obviously focus on different things um and lastly just to wrap up this podcast you said you were doing a a program or a course oh yeah so there may be people listening out there that are either the person that is suffering from what medical doctors call ibd or ibs you may also have a partner a friend a mom a dad an auntie uncle cousin nephew niece whatever it might be that has it or has just been recently diagnosed Uh, and this again only so so funny this happened this only came about because i have now had four people just from this week alone as in the week just gone uh tell me that they've either just been diagnosed or they've gone into another flare and the doctor wants this new drugs and it's kind of like the universe you know again it always gives us funny signs just knocking on my door saying you need to really take this seriously now in this specific field because i was very kind of holistic and doing everything so yeah circling around um for anyone out there that's suffering or knows someone's suffering from ibd or ibs and that could be you know gastritis enteritis colitis proctitis it doesn't really matter what name a medical doctor has given them it, it's crap um, and i will again vehemently defend that there are much better ways i'm not telling anyone to stop the medication right now or do anything radical what i am saying is that i am running a money-back guaranteed program in 2020 we start mid-january there's only about four or five guys signed up um, if you're interested, talk to me. My name's Mitchell Vickridge. I'm sure Shivan will put the, the, the uh, stuff out, but it's a five-month program. 
if you're not on medication but you're still you know bleeding or you've got chronic diarrhea and pain then you know that's great that's a great start and you're you're already at an advanced level um, but if you're someone who's on drugs you'll be working with your doctor i'm also working with a couple of medical professionals with this and publishing results um, to get you off your medication if that's what you want and you've worked out that this is a maze to nowhere and your dog chasing its own tail and you want better answers but please do know it is a lifestyle change you will be do- it is a very in-depth program it'll be very hands-on there are changes you can make but i ask everyone what's your health worth to you and they always you know people that are chronically suffering because i would say the same thing what's it worth to you anything and if i was told to eat dog shit and glass to get healthy i'd do it right so not that that's what i had to do but <laughs> it's believe me it's a lot better than that and it's a lot of fun too people have this whole f- this is the biggest thing because it comes back to the stress thing i make health i try to make health fun because there's this whole idea when you're sick and anyone that's been sick knows, anyone that's not been sick will not know. And I mean chronically, not just a, a sniffle, but a chronically sick person, they know you will do anything to get better. Anything. And there is such fear, especially in the IBD. It's take these drugs or we're going to cut your bowels out. It's these like blank stare statements that are just fucking rubbish. And I'm here to call, again, I'm anti-bullshit. I'm here to call this bullshit out and let everyone know there is a better way, a much better way, a much better holistic way. And one that's based on truth and reality and common sense, not this pseudoscientific crap that's being pushed through society at the moment. So if anyone's interested, please contact me. If you have a loved one that you think would benefit, at the very least, even get on a call or do a Skype with me and I can give you some um, fantastic answers even if you don't want to do the program. But for anyone out there that really wants to get their life back, that is sick and tired of being sick and tired, that's sick and tired of shitting blood, take it from someone who has been down that route for nearly a decade and had to lose their entire large intestine and hurt a lot of people in the process, um, that I'm now here to help people avoid that. So, you say you say money back guarantee. Literally, if you get to the end of five months and you haven't had a major, I, I money back guarantee all my work on that confident now because money I've done back this. guarantee guarantee. Now. Literally, you haven't. Yeah, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Pay with your credit card and you receive a set of steak knives. <laughs> uh, but no, on the reels, I'm that confident. I've done this time and time again. Look, there's adherence too. If you don't adhere to doing certain things, of course you're not going to get the result. You've got to really commit to this with at least 95% adherence, and it's not that difficult. Um, yeah, if you get to the end of five months and you think I've been a complete waste of time, I will deposit the money instantly at the end of five months back into your account. So you not only would have learnt a shitload and got a result because there's no way anyone's coming that's not getting some kind of result. But if you really think it was that crap, I don't want your money because all I want are raving fans that say this really worked and this needs to be taken seriously because I've done this long enough now to know one, I still don't have all the answers, but two, that I'm very efficient and proficient at what I do in reversing chronic disease and helping people and be empowered to understand the why. I don't give a fuck about your effects or symptoms. I just want to get to your root causes and wash all of your symptoms away. And people go, is that a cure? And I said, well, look, the CDC and the AMA actually own the word cure. That's actually a statistical fact. And if you use it, you can be arrested and put in jail for it. I just reverse. So if if your symptoms disappear, if you want to call that a cure, by all means, go for it. I just call it reversal because guess what? If you go back to the lifestyle that got you there in the first place, it's going to come back, possibly. may not, but it probably will come back. So I'm not curing anyone. I'm not offering magic. I'm not doing fucking witchcraft. I'm offering real life holistic work that's based on common sense and reality and some deep, deep healing techniques to help you get well. Awesome. And best way to get in contact with you? Instagram, Facebook. Um, I would say, yeah, Mitchell Vicarage. I'm yep. sure you put up names. V-I-C-K-R-I-D-G-E. There's no E in the middle. Everyone makes that mistake. Vicarage. There's no E in the middle. It's just Mitchell Vicarage, Vic and Ridge. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Literally just send me a message. I'm usually on pretty much every day when I need to be on. And I would be happy to, to even just message you before we even talk about a program. We can just chat first. 
Awesome. Well, you heard it. Heard it yeah. <laughs> you heard you it, it here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It's been great. And um, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks. Yeah, thank um, you so much, brother. Appreciate it. And, awesome. Um, no, really thank you. Me on.